Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Despite this long road we've taken, we have finally, finally reached the finish line. Of course, we Democrats believe we need to do much more. The policies they want to put behind this budget resolution read like somebody walked across the rotunda to the House and handed the squad a pen and piece of paper. This historic investment infrastructure is what I believe you, the American people, want. What you've been asking for for a long, long time. This bill shows that we can work together. So they're talking about the second bill there, though. Well, both. Both. Yeah. Well, Mitch McConnell was talking about the second bill that looks like it was written by the squad. Correct. Old Joe Biden, I think, was talking about the first. I think he was, statement. too. But, yeah. but so Nancy says she's not going to even introduce the first one until the Senate passes the second one? Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't see how we'll that's. I, that, I really yeah. don't. I, I still. She, she's got to be playing some sort of game of chess or chicken chicken chess which would be a fantastic game hmm. I've but, seen uh, chickens play checkers but not chess uh, let's bring congressman tom mcclintock into the conversation he represents the fourth district of california he's as rare as a dodo bird he's a true fiscal conservative indeed citizens against government waste recently named him as one of only two perfect votes in the house fighting against wasteful government spending tom how are you sir i'm doing fine guys thank you Excellent. You got to be lonely these days as money is sloshing around the capital by the trillions and nobody has much of an idea what's happening or what it's being spent on. Well, the pr- problem with that term trillion is it's got no reference point in the real world. Uh, billion doesn't have much of one either. Uh, Art Laffer calls those mego numbers, M E G O. My eyes glaze over. But think of it this way every trillion dollars that we throw around in Washington, that's eight thousand dollars from an average family take the number of families in the country divided into a, a trillion that's eight thousand dollars per family um, and once the government has decided to spend that money it's already decided to take that money from you there's that's the only way it can be financed it's either done through higher taxes which reduce your current standard of living uh, or borrowing from capital markets, which reduces is your future standard of living. It's simply a future tax. It reduces the capital that's available for consumer lending right now. Or they print a lot of money, which hollows out your savings and, and retirement funds uh, and reduces your current standard of living through inflation. So all that free money they're sending us actually, it turns out, is very expensive. And you're paying it back every day at the grocery store, at the gas station, uh, and, uh, and, and through the reduction in the value of your retirement funds. We had 5.4% inflation in no. July. What that means is if you set aside $100,000 in your retirement fund, the government just took $5,400 of that. It doesn't show on your balance sheet. But that $100,000 you've saved for your retirement now purchases $5,400 less stuff. Ouch. Um, I always think about what Milton Friedman said about the real rate of taxation is the rate of spending because they're, you know, exactly. it's, it's going to get figured out at some point and it will, it will get paid for with taxes. Um, uh, my parents bought their first house in 1970-whatever it was. Uh, at like 18% interest. That's the other thing that's going to happen. Is they're going to have to start raising interest rates to deal with all this mess. And and I have a feeling we're going to get, you know, we'll get back to those kind of crazy times and everybody's going to be saying, how did this happen? Which is going to make well, me really angry. 
I mean, the, the, the inflation right now is highest in, what, more than 20 years. So, yes, we're, we're rapidly getting back to those days. And, and those who lived through them know it was no picnic. And, and the frustrating thing is, you know, uh, when you think about where this economy was going prior to the pandemic, at, at, at that point in time, we had the, the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. We had the lowest poverty rate in 60 years. We had the fastest wage growth in 40 years. Those were what the Trump policies had produced for the economy. And now look where we are. So well, so do you understand what Nancy's game is, though, with this whole I'm not going to um, we won't even take up that first infrastructure bill that did get 19 Republican senators to vote for it until the crazy squad Bernie Sanders communist bill comes up. What, what, what is that? I think they're trying to put pressure on Senate Democrats. The the $3.5 trillion spending bill is, is coming in right behind this first one. Uh, uh, that can be done through a budget, is, is being done through a budget resolution, which means it doesn't have to get uh, uh, 60 votes in the, in the Senate. Uh, it can pass with a simple majority. Um, uh, my so, so they can't afford to lose a single Democratic vote in the Senate. So my guess is they're saying you're not going to see your 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 bipartisan bill uh, until we get the partisan bill, and uh, and it's all on you, Senate Democrats, to produce it. Maybe I'm naive. I do not see Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema going for that three point five trillion dollar practically murder of the American uh, economy. Yeah, well, particularly when when you consider it's on top of the one point one trillion dollars they just passed out. That's thirty six thousand dollars per family. That 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 that's going to destroy what's left of the economy. So let's let's talk about that first bill, the so called more pure infrastructure bill. It's one point one one point two trillion. Uh, the rounding errors now are more money than I can even imagine. Uh, what do you think of that bill coming out of the Senate? Well, I, I kind of admire the chutzpah calling this an infrastructure bill. Only about 10% of it's going to actual infrastructure like highways and bridges, and, and that's being charitable out of that amount. There are provisions in there to require new cars to have mandatory breathalyzers to start, uh, to reroute existing freeways that once split minority communities generations ago. Uh, and then when you look at, at, at the details of it, and again, yeah, I, I, in, instead of using the, the, the MAGO numbers, let me, let me just tell you what's going to cost an average family. Uh, 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 $528 for passenger uh, and, and freight subsidies for, for rail, $60 for a national network of electric uh, vehicle charging stations, um, uh, $312 out of your family's budget for public transit subsidies, $584 for clean energy transmission, which, which by the way, is absolutely – when you have uh, wind and uh, solar power, you can't transmit that over normal transmission lines. You have to build an entirely new transmission system, so that, that's added to the cost of your electricity bill. It goes on and on. And, and the question I always ask is, once you've converted those mega numbers into family-sized numbers, is that worth it to, to, to the families that, that I know and represent? And usually the answer is hell no. Well, if AOC were here, Tom, I'll play the devil's advocate. She'd say, we're not going to hit families up. We're going to soak the rich. Well, the, the, the problem, of course, is that um, most, you know, when, when they say, oh, well, it's just many rich corporations that pay the right. taxes. Yeah. First of all, most of those rich corporations aren't rich and they're not corporations. They're, they're family businesses filing under subchapter C or subchapter S. Uh, but more to the point, 
corporations don't pay corporate taxes. There are only three possible ways that corporate taxes can be paid. They're paid by us as consumers through higher prices. They're paid by us as employees through lower wages. And they're paid by us as investors through lower earnings. Uh, that's our, our retirement funds. That's the only way corporate taxes are paid. Corporations simply collect the tax for the government and give it to them. Congressman Tom McClintock, 4th District, California, is on the line. Is there anything we can do uh, as voters to stop this madness? I mean, what do you suggest? Win elections? I mean, what, is there anything yeah. else you can do? That's the whole game right there. That, that, that is exactly how you change things. These policies will continue as long as the people responsible for them remain in, in office. Uh, and that's up to us every two years. It was, it was Abraham Lincoln who said, you know, the voters are everything. If the voters get their backsides too close to the fire... They'll just have to sit on the blisters a while. It, it is a painful experience, but it's a learning experience, and we emerge hopefully sadder but wiser at the end of the day. Well, and I would hope every single listener to the A&G show would contact their, their senator, their congressman, and tell them what they think about this in one way or another. Uh, I'll start. Hey, Tom, vote against this stuff, okay? There, I'm done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so... What is the game with the $3.5 trillion communist states of America bill? Is that pegging the negotiation insanely high so they can get a third of it? What's What's the game and what do you think is the likely outcome? I wish I knew the answer to that question. As I said, I think they're trying to put pressure on Senate Democrats. I, I think they've got uh, they, they've got a radical contingent in the in the House that uh, uh, thinks that three and a half trillion dollars is too low. I mean, don't don't forget uh, AOC's uh, New Green Deal. I believe is a total of ninety trillion dollars over <laughs> the next ten years. Uh, so that'll give you an idea of where they're taking this economy. And and you know people are feeling that now every day in their pocketbooks. And you just, just to give you perspective. I was uh, elected in, in 2009 to the Congress. At the time, we had a $10 trillion national debt, which everybody realized was unsustainable. It's now approaching $30 trillion, and they're going to jack it up to about $34, $35 trillion if all these measures go through. And, and that's all during, money that you have to pay back. Right. And that's during a time of wonderful economic growth, uh, post-09. It's just astounding. And peacetime. China moves right. on Taiwan, and all of a sudden we're in a war or something, and, 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 and we start from broke and $30 trillion. That's it, it, not a good place exactly. to be. Exactly. So th- th- there's only one other time when we've had this level of debt compared compared to the uh, uh, economy, and that was at the end of World War II, when we had uh, expended every national resource against the most powerful military forces on the planet. Uh, We were flat broke. There was very serious concern in, in the spring of 1945 if we could even continue the war into 1946 because the the bond uh, measures were failing the dollar was exhausted of uh, uh, we're there right now uh, as if we'd already fought through world war ii wow so, wow wow, so, wow 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 i yeah. just our, our, just i'm just picturing in my mind uh, the people i've known uh, families i've known been in a situation where you're living on the edge like this and then something happens a medical emergency car breaks down whatever it is and you just i mean you go off a cliff fast because you were mm-hmm. you, you, you you well you weren't saving for a rainy day and that, that's what yeah, we're well, doing hemingway said you you go broke two ways first very gradually and then quite suddenly here here time to put down the uh, netflix and pick up a little political uh, activism folks congressman tom mcclintock fourth district of california tom's always enlightening uh, keep fighting the good fight thanks thanks for having me
Always a pleasure. So, you know what uh, some people like about the Armstrong and Getty show is how we go can go from that sort of thing to Hunter Biden's sex life in, mm. uh, in a one thirty-minute period. Um, there's a new tape out with Hunter Biden telling a story, laying naked on a bed with another naked woman, uh, uh, telling a story to her. And this is all being videotaped, and that, that video is out. And so just the transcription of what he had to say is pretty interesting. About, he's telling one lover about his shenanigans with other ones? He's laying, he's, I've never tried that. He's laying in bed in his booze and drug haze uh, yeah. with some, who knows what the standing is of this particular woman, but um, uh, his story about how his friends thought he was dead when they found him passed out face down in the hot tub and all kinds of other things are really pretty interesting. Quite Yikes. a lifestyle there. All that on the way. Hunter, you're a loser. <laughs> So that's the actual singing from Van Halen. Clearly. Over Hank Williams' Your Cheating Heart. And it works perfectly and sounds good. <laughs> it does. Jr. in his spandex, doing his jump kicks and twirling around with his mic. <laughs> um, so uh, this is what the actual audio sounds like. I'm going to have to read the transcript because the audio from the Hunter Biden video that is now out sounds like this. So you can't understand it if we played it for you, but if you turn it up really loud and get it all mid-rangey and trebly, you can, you can figure it out, and they got the transcript. So the Washington Examiner's got this version that I'm reading for, but lots of people picked it up, but not a lot of people. And I got to tell you, if there were a video out like this of Eric Trump or Donald Trump Jr., CNN oh, would have no other story to talk about. No, it'd be on a loop. But you won't even be aware of this unless you're listening to us or maybe watch Fox or something. Uh, engaging in pillow talk, Hunter Biden shared a story about once losing a laptop during a summer romp in Las Vegas. The president's adult son, nude and in bed with a naked woman, told his partner he feared the device was stolen and its videos of his sexual escapades could be used as blackmail. The video was taken from a laptop believed to have belonged to Biden, who has never denied being its owner. That's the one we know about, I guess. Uh, and uh, contacted the lawyer for uh, Hunter Biden, and he didn't respond to the examiner. In the video taken in January 2019, Biden said he spent an effing crazy amount of money during the during a 2018 Las Vegas like lost weekend. So I, often this is portrayed as you know Hunter when he was younger, long time 2018. <laughs> this is a year and a half before the his dad was elected president. It's worth noting this guy loses laptops like most people lose cheap sunglasses. He spent 18 days. That's a bender, man. Two weeks plus four days. Whoa! I can't even imagine what you feel like after that. Wow. Uh, He spent 18 days going around from penthouse suite to penthouse suite, 
four different hotels and thousands of dollars. I'm quoting him here. He, he spoke about one person he is with who each night he'd be like, there's going to be so many people, it's going to be a crazy effing party. And then each night I'd show up and there'd be nobody. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. One night, Biden said he passed out in a hot tub face down. When he came up for air, Biden said there was a man, Miguel, who was frantically running around gathering things up. Okay, Miguel and Pierce, this guy, my friend, and a woman he described as a Russian, 35-year-old, really nice, pure brunette, whatever that means. Nice. Um, (laughs) He said they checked to see if he was breathing and they were preparing to leave. They wouldn't call an ambulance. They didn't know whether I was dead or not at first, said Biden, who who Uh, says he... You like to be partying with people who, if it appears you're dead, they run around grabbing your stuff instead of calling 911. Or anything that would incriminate them, I think, was right. the main thing. Um, right. Who yeah. noted he did not know how long he was passed out. Well, I've, I've known people like this. There is kind of a mutual pact. If we think you're dead, we're going to get all the stuff that's going to get us out of trouble and we're going to leave. And I assume you're going to do the same for me. <laughs> nice lifestyle. Yeah, it, it, it's something. The transcript does not mention drug use leading to a blackout, but the president's son has a struggle with substance abuse, blah, 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 kicked out of the Navy for testing positive for cocaine, blah, blah, blah. Biden and the unidentified woman appear to be doing drugs off the bedside table as he told the story about his Las Vegas bender. Anyway, my computer, and I had taken lots of like just to left the cam on, and I would always put on a passcode and all that. You know what I mean? I don't know what you mean. And it was effing. It was effing crazy S, and somebody stole that laptop during this period of time, and it's gone, and I don't know who has it. So he had a laptop for all these parties and everything like that. He would just turn on the camera and leave it. It got stolen during the Vegas romp, and he has no idea where that that laptop is. It's the smartest guy Joe Biden knows. Did he once say that? International energy consultant and board member Hunter Biden. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. Are you surprised at how fast the Taliban's been able to make moves in Afghanistan to take over different sections of that country? Uh, Brett, we're certainly watching this with uh, with deep concern. There's no question uh, that the security situation on the ground is, is deteriorating, and you saw that just over the course of the last few days, even more deterioration. Uh, so we're absolutely, uh, absolutely watching this with uh, with a measure of concern. That's Brett Baer talking to John Kirby, who's the uh, spokesperson for the Pentagon. That was a thoroughly reasonable uh, little exchange of, of views there. The interview at large, or, you know, as a whole, was mostly characterized by some really ridiculous rhetoric of the sort we've been listening to for years and years about how the Afghan forces are trained up and blah, blah, blah. Stand on their own. So we, uh, we got to this yesterday. I was amazed by some of these... Uh, reports, um, you know, anonymous sources, White House insiders, that sort of stuff. U.S. officials warned Taliban could seize Kabul in weeks. Kabul, the capital of the country of Afghanistan, could fall in weeks. This is new information, ladies and germs. U.S. officials have warned that Taliban could seize Kabul in as little as one month amid the American troop withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan. The militant group Taliban, by the way, is reported to be forcing girls as young as 12 into sex slavery in its territories. It's rolling into towns and saying, bring out every girl you got so they can marry our troop members, which means they're a sex slave. And so they 
kill them or leave them along the side of the road. The speed of the Taliban's blitz, which has been uh, seen them gain control at least two-thirds of the country. This story is from yesterday. I have an update on that. Uh, two-thirds of the country in a matter of weeks has stunned U.S. intelligence officials, multiple reports say. Biden's administration had previously estimated Kabul could be overrun within 6 to 12 months of the troops departing, but now fear it could come much sooner. Uh, Sources told the Washington Post, everything is moving in the wrong direction. Wait a second. Behind the scenes, the Biden people thought Kabul's going to fall in a year, maybe six months. That was their optimistic view that they've now had to update to more like 30 to 60 days. Wow. That's not what they were saying out loud. That's crazy. Now, I mean, it's, it's the polar opposite of what they were saying out loud. I get why they were, because if they if they were outwardly saying Kabul's going to fall within a year, I mean, the Afghan government would not have zero support, none. Everybody would just be rushing to make deals with the Taliban. But they're going going to anyway, so I'm not sure what you gain. I don't know. It's it's it, it it would go from a one in ten chance of success to a zero in ten chance of success if you were to out just out and out admit this is doomed. Nine of Afghanistan's provincial capitals have been overrun by the Taliban in recent days. Uh, again, I have an update on that. This is yesterday's news. Another major one just fell, and it's important. Uh, Joe Biden did say in the last 48 hours that he does not regret his uh, decision to move. We spent over a trillion dollars in 20 years. We trained and equipped a modern army with over 300,000 men under arms. They've got to fight for themselves. Behind the scenes, however, U.S. officials have been saying that they have little confidence in Afghan security forces and their ability to prevent the country's complete collapse ah there we go and we'll be getting to emails from folks who actually served in afghanistan we asked them the question as you were training the afghan army what did you think about their ability to stand up and fight for themselves so stay tuned for that let me bring you the just the latest because i just came across this and this is from this morning with thomas joslin and bill Ruggio, who i know we've talked to at least some of those people those wapo people This is in a like a blog thing. I think those are Washington Post people. Anyway, Ghazni City falls to the Taliban. I don't expect you to have memorized the map of Afghanistan and what province and town these are, but this will explain. The capital of the southeastern Afghan province with the same name is the 10th provincial capital now to fall to the Taliban in one week. And it's strategically important because it sits on the road to Kabul. Uh So now they have taken over the capital of a province, now they've got a clear-shot road where they can set up on the way to the capital and take over the country incomplete. Well, not only that, but due to the weakness of the Afghan Air Force, and they have terrible problems, including the contractors who service all the planes and choppers, we're taking them with. I mean, they're gone already. Uh, so they've, they've got terrible problems maintaining their aircraft, but uh, they can only resupply their troops with with the uh, weapons with food with water with medicine with the medical personnel etc by road with trucks and now the Taliban controls the main highway going out of Kabul they're doomed the Taliban launched their final assault on Ghazni city yesterday quickly capturing the governor's compound the police headquarters the prison and other key installations the governor fled the city after cutting a deal with the Taliban so did the police chief the governor was escorted out of town by the Taliban and then a later arrested by Afghan security forces for handing the city over to the Taliban. Yeah, what would you have done? <laughs> yeah. He probably said. Yeah, talk about no win. Oof. Uh, yeah, so that's all really, really bad news. Um, but completely predicted and expected. Now, so the the stuff I don't get the most 
There's a quote from somebody there, but I know we've got one of the clips here where they talk about getting them to the negotiating table or Indeed, they were being, ready to go with it. being isolated on the international stage and all that sort of crap. What is that talk? Clip 38, please. Well, we certainly have no indications that uh, there aren't uh, depredations being uh, brought against uh, women and uh, and other innocents in Afghanistan. I mean, the the Taliban continues to try to advance uh, in the country uh, through brutality, through oppression, through fear. And and as my my counterpart at the State Department said, those kinds of tactics are not going to lead to the level of legitimacy that they say they want from the international community. But that's that's why we continue to. Admiral, I mean, mean, you think the Taliban is going to say we're going to we want to be legitimate? in the world's eyes, that that's going to be the threat that makes them stop beheading or executing people? Brett, they've said from themselves that they want legitimacy and that they want to have a hand in in governance, which means they're going to have to come to the table and be part of a negotiated political settlement. That poor guy, he's smart enough to know what he's saying is crap, right? Yeah, he has to enunciate the official line of the Pentagon. ISIS didn't care about legitimacy, neither did the Nazis as they rolled over Europe, and neither does the Taliban. Yeah. Oh, they. But, but Brett, they said they wanted legitimacy. Yeah. And and as you sat down at the card table, the cowboy said, "This is an honest game, son." Before he took all your money. What a joke! What a joke! And then another uh, bit of ridiculousness. Ah, da da da. I guess clip thirty nine. We've long believed that there's not going to be a military solution here to the conflict inside Afghanistan. This has got to be solved through through politics, through negotiation. Now, obviously, they are advancing in a way that would t- that would argue that they're they're not as interested in that as they once said they were. But this has got to be an Afghan-led process, and the Afghan military has the capability, they have the capacity, they have the advantage over the Taliban, and now's the time for them to use all that for some political and military leadership. Yeah, according that, that was priceless. Exactly. How did he phrase that again? <laughs> that they that they they don't seem to be as dedicated as they said they were, as they once were. According yeah. to the Washington Post and Axios, behind the scenes, the Biden people are saying six months at best in Kabul Falls. Wow. So wow. Uh, it's all dealing with reality. It was the Trump people dealing with reality and the Biden people dealing with reality. The reality being we could stay for a year or five years or ten years and this exact same thing will happen. So we might as well leave now. Right. Exactly. But why can't they just say that out loud? I don't know. The the Taliban won't achieve legitimacy through brutality that they want on the international stage. So we'll get to emails from folks who served in Afghanistan, what they think of the whole deal, in just a moment or two after a quick word from our friends at Simply Safe. Chad and Eleanor Lawrence started the company. They designed their first security system in their kitchen. Because their friend's home had gotten broken into, and they realized, you know, traditional systems are so expensive and complicated and the rest of it. If you want to keep your home safe from fire, from criminals, break-ins, medical emergency, you really need to look into Simply Safe. Uh, what, what do people call me? Huh? What's my nickname? Old Simple Jack. Old Simple Jack. I don't want a complicated system that I can't figure out how to even turn the thing on at night, and I just say, ah, the heck with it. No, that's not the way Simply Safe is going to be. So not only is it the best home security system you can get, according to a whole bunch of different uh, publications that look into those sorts of things. It's just so darn easy to use, and you can afford it, and you set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. You order it at simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. You customize it to your home, and you can set it up yourself because there's going to be all kinds of help from the Simply Safe people in setting it up. 
Check out the website, simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. As our listener, you save 20% on your Simply Safe security system and get your first month free when you sign up for interactive monitoring service. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong, customize your system, start protecting your home and family, your workshop, or band's rehearsal space, or whatever you need to protect. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So yesterday we asked from people who were in Afghanistan, did you see this coming, or what was it like all those years you were there and training people up? So we're going to run through some of that. Then I've got the big political question. All right. Stay tuned. Okay. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Don't say a word. Last one still stinging back on my So, uh, got a 14 year old who swam Lake Tahoe, clear across. Pretty impressive. Three guys who died in a manure pit. That's a terrible story. That's <laughs> crappy. More on the college professor that was setting all those fires in California. But right now we've been talking about, um, oh, and more on Hunter's laptop. I mean, new laptop stuff that you haven't heard before about his party lifestyle. Yeah. really something. But we're talking about Afghanistan and how all the reporting is now that behind the scenes, the Biden administration expected the entire country to fall in six to 12 months, which is clearly not what they were telling us. So we asked for emails from folks who had served in Afghanistan and helped train the Afghan forces and uh, their their thoughts on this situation how quickly afghanistan's falling uh well we'll keep everybody anonymous but this person points out the infamous jumping jack video he said that was accurate watch it so i couldn't remember if that was iraq or afghanistan so that was afghanistan where you had the old men and children trying to do jumping jacks and they couldn't even well and they weren't really trying uh, but moving along, here's a note from uh, Al Anonymous. Anyone who served in Afghanistan, worked with the Afghan military, is not surprised by what's happening. We've essentially been running a jobs program by paying people who had no interest in serving in the military or defending their country for almost 20 years. The best analogy I can come up with would be if we paid blue state city people to occupy red state America and then stopped funding and backing them with air support. They don't care about the land. They're no longer being paid to defend. They're not natural fighters and warriors. They have no chance. Then he goes on to say, Hmm. I knew they had no chance when one of my lieutenants told me that while explaining something to Afghan soldiers, for some reason he referenced Neil Armstrong landing on walking on the moon, the Afghans laughed at him, pointing out how stupid he was because no one can walk on the moon because it's only this big. And they held their fingers up as if the moon was the size it appears in the sky. Wow. I'm not sure how relevant that was. That is damn relevant. You got people who were living in the year, what, pre-Galileo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're living in the year 1000. Here's another gent, Master Sergeant, U.S. Army, 1982 to 2012. Thanks for uh, serving, my friend. He writes, I called you years ago and talked to you about uh, Afghanistan and the training. Your comment then was, oh, my gosh, that is deeply disturbing, LOL. The reality is I trained and created operation centers in 06 and 07 all over Afghanistan to create a rapid reaction force to respond to this kind of crisis you see now in the Providence. In the provinces, I taught beautiful people who couldn't read and write with pictures and and uh, 
telephones, he says. I, I, I think this was, this is, uh, he dictated this and some of it's kind of goofed up, but I taught them how to use ATM machines so their commanders wouldn't rob them. And truly, I felt like I'd done some good work with loyal and dedicated policemen and soldiers. Once Pakistan found out how well they were doing, they and the Taliban killed them all by the busloads. I left Afghanistan when all of my troops were dead. This is 06, 07. Wow. I don't think we can or could win Afghanistan without invading Pakistan and slapping the crap out of Iran. Thus, World War Three. Thank you for those thoughts. We got a text from somebody who was there who talked about we made small amounts of inroads of cultural change in Kabul, the biggest city. But that's pretty much the only place. Out in the countryside, even after 20 years, we made no cultural impacts other than killing the radical relatives of those who are still alive, thus potentially radicalizing their clansmen, thus creating a deadly cycle. So yeah, maybe, in Kabul, you see pictures of Kabul like in the sixties and seventies. It was a thoroughly modern Western looking city. Yeah, and and I've I've heard in the last uh, twenty four hours several times the stats of how many more uh, people can read and how many more people graduated college and uh, you know some other good numbers, but those will be re- reversed in a week. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, another note from another serviceman, uh, also Army, served in the Army for seven years, deployed to Afghanistan in 2010 to train the Afghan National Army. I was in charge of helping train over 200 Afghan soldiers through their basic training. By the end of the first month, I knew no matter how long we trained them, they were they would never be able to defend their country from the Taliban. They were supposed to be up and ready to train by 0800. My team and I would show up at 745. Their so-called drill instructors would still be sleeping, not ready themselves. By the time they were dressed and did weapons draw, we would leave the living compound, march to the training compound by 10 o'clock if we were lucky. That's three hours late, folks. They would train until 11, then have to go back for prayer and lunch. We would be set on going back to training at 1300. Once again, we would show up at 1245. Everyone would be sleeping again. Once again, we couldn't get back to training until 1500 and would have to end at 1600 for prayer and dinner. They don't train at night due to darkness and not having night vision capabilities, so they train for a max of two hours a day. Another repeated problem is that once they were paid on the first of the month, half the soldiers would disappear and go back home until the money ran out, then would come back without any repercussions due to lack of enlistment. Once again, they were paid. Once uh, they were near the end of their training, the Taliban would offer them a little more money to join them. So basically, we're training these men to fight for the Taliban. I could go on and on about other ways we spent so much money on equipment than they would just sell it and ask for it over and over. The thing that bothers me most is that there were great soldiers that wanted to fight for their country and create freedom oh, for their sure, people. I'm sure there were. But when you have half or more of the people standing next to you that don't feel the same way, you're in trouble. And that's how it was and always will be. There is no way the commanders of the military could have seen this any other way. Right. So I was going to get to that. It doesn't make me mad that we're doing what we're doing now. And it doesn't even really make me mad that they're behind the scenes saying different things than what they're saying out loud. Because I kind of get why they have to. But it does make me very angry that all those years and the Washington Post did that you know, exclusive story, that blockbuster story several years back about how you had. So that guy knew what was going on there, but his boss apparently would lie to the boss above him because the boss above him knew that the guy right below Obama or Bush didn't want to hear that noise. So they just made up a story. It's the classic bureaucracy crap of you just tell your boss what they want to hear because they want to hear good news. They want to hear that this is going great, boss. We, we trained this many people, and it's good. So I'll put in a report that my my sector is doing this good, and then they'll tell Barack Obama or whoever what they want to hear. That stuff really pisses me off. Yeah. Yeah. That is just, that's unconscionable that you do that. That's the nature of bureaucracies. 
You know, we got a note uh, from a veteran of the Second Ranger Battalion who talks about how we could have won Afghanistan. This is a conversation that you know took place a number of years ago, but he says the Powell Doctrine was false from the beginning. The idea of a light touch, you know, just not to let's not overdo it. Let's make sure no civilians are hurt, et cetera, et cetera. Win hearts and minds, all that stuff. You know, his perspective is you got to sweep in there like Genghis Khan, just utterly decimate the enemy, and then you rebuild. Uh, but we tried to do it uh, the kinder, gentler, 21st century warfare. Yeah, the, it just didn't work. No, the world is not going to allow for that sort of thing to ever happen. No, and given what all the other people, uh, and unanimously, by the way, folks, I'm not like selecting emails carefully to build a certain narrative. Everybody who weighed in said the same thing. I knew the Afghan forces were doomed within a month of getting there. Um I'm not sure there was any way to, quote-unquote, win Afghanistan and have it stay won. Because the Taliban, and and I respect our our friend from the 2nd Ranger Battalion, what he's saying, but they have the the capacity and the patience to vanish into the hills and and not fight for a decade. I think you'd had to done what he said, sweep in like Genghis Khan and, you know, kill lots of people, including lots of civilians, because there'd be no other way to do it, um, uh, and stay for like 50 years. I would agree. Then you could, but why? What's the? It, I, I don't have time to really make this whole analogy, but I was thinking, listening to some of these uh, military guys, it's just like let's never put epidemiologists in charge of policy for a pandemic again because their goal is zero deaths. Let's not put people in charge of these wars again who whose goal is zero deaths. One death from a terrorist attack is worth trillions of dollars and in invading a country for two decades. Right. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And then there was a rock. Oh, well, anyway. Uh, I do want to talk about the politics of this for Biden, if he could end up in trouble on this. But we'll move on to something else uh, for a while in hour three. We do have to get more from Hunter's laptop at some point. Man, what a lifestyle he had. How did he not blow up his life worse than he did? Filthy boy. Filthy. Uh, if you miss an hour, get the podcast. Armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.